0: The mere mention of cryptocurrency sends some people into a tailspin. What is it? How can you make money from it? And most of all, when is the best time to invest in crypto? And if you did get in at the right time and made a substantial gain, what steps do you need to take to ensure it doesn't all go to Uncle Sam? Micah Frame, CPA of CryptoTaxCPA.com, dives into the world of crypto and reveals the risky reality of the blockchain and the irony of the massive potential losses and the tax liabilities that investors are unaware of. In this episode, we discuss the number one myth around taxable income in the crypto space, what investors can do to avoid costly tax liabilities when investing in crypto, and some of the legal implications of trading crypto. To learn more about some of the tax implications, grab Micah's free guide, Seven Crypto Tax Mistakes Most Accountants Miss that will eat up your profits. Link is in the show notes. I'm Bob Wheeler, and this is Money You Should Ask, where we explore why we do what we do when it comes to money. Micah Frame's CPA is a crypto tax accountant who has been practicing for 10 years. He is an investor and user of blockchain technology and works to provide valuable advice to clients regarding rapidly changing crypto situations. Welcome to the show, Micah. I am so excited to be talking to you today. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited to do this. You are the crypto tax CPA. So, what does that mean for our listeners who are still learning?
1: Mostly just that I not only have a tax expertise in crypto, but I think the thing that a lot of the CPAs who get in this space miss is that they're not actual crypto investors or enthusiasts. They kind of approach it from an academic standpoint where they're reading papers about it and the tax treatment, but they've never once actually engaged with the blockchain, which is fine. That's way better than most CPAs are doing, but there still ends up being a disconnect when you're not actually using the tech yourself. So that's been our journey the past couple of years is learning it not only as an investor and user, but as CPAs.
0: So I'm older. There's a lot of people out there, younger people doing crypto. Crypto's only been around for a little bit. So a lot of folks are still saying, what's crypto? Yeah. Can you explain it like in basic kid terms, like for those of us that are, huh?
1: Oh, I'm (laughs) the (laughs) worst. I don't go on these to talk about the tech side because even though I understand it better than most CPAs, I have a rudimentary understanding compared to true blockchain people. Yeah, But I mean, at its core, crypto and blockchain is decentralized processing and computing. It's based on decentralization versus centralization. So one of the examples I'll give, and the one that really just made crypto click for me where I understood the use case of a project is video games. Because back when I was younger, I loved video games and had the time and now you get old and your joy gets stolen from your life and you don't do it anymore. But I played a ton as a kid. And if you're playing an online game, it's being hosted on some AWS, some Amazon server farm somewhere. And that's what's powering the game. And that's what you're playing based off of. Well, there's this one project I thought was interesting that it's powered by node technology to where there's 20,000 nodes out there where people are running these programs on their computer and sort of crowdsourcing the computing for this online game to be played. Okay, That's just one example, but same thing can happen with payment processing, different things. Again, I'll let the people who are true tech experts speak to this, but there can be significant advantages to these things being decentralized, even just from a security standpoint. There are some big projects out there to where if you get someone who's attacking a centralized repository of information, that's how we end up with these Equifax leaks or Anthem or these different things, but if you have it towards decentralized, that breaks up the pockets and they're only able to get access to a smaller amount versus the whole thing. There's a million different potential use cases out there for it, but that's kind of the overarching crux of what's behind it.
0: Okay. Now, Crypto wasn't around when you were a kid. So Mm-mm. did you have the vision? This is what you wanted to do and you just had to wait for it to arrive? No. <laughs> yeah, Or you were just like, no, I just want to be a CPA.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to be a CPA. And we've been in practice now 10-ish years. What happened is after the first couple, we started working with online businesses or other growth-centric businesses to where they had rapidly changing situations. Because I get bored really easily. So when we'd meet with clients they had the same situation for 20 years and nothing was ever going to change right i can't provide a lot of value then so these online businesses are rapidly shifting have these big peaks and valleys and then when we got involved in crypto we saw that sort of on steroids where it's so rapidly shifting there's hardly any regulation hardly any guidance at least for me where i've got this short attention span sometimes it was kind of a perfect fit because you give advice one month And the next month, it's outdated. Right. That's what really attracted me to it from the CPA side.
0: Oh, well, that's good because then a month later, you can go, hey, I told you the truth back then. It changed. It's not my fault. (laughs) (laughs) You can always dodge a bullet because it was true in August.
1: (laughs) It's fun for us, but it's awful for the investors. And that's one of the things we'll talk about. You can count on basically one hand the things the IRS has explicitly issued guidance on. And the rest of it, we're having to sort of find something that's analogous or in established case law or tax guidance, find something that roughly matches with a crypto equivalent. It's not like the IRS has given us real guidance on most things.
0: Well, it's a little confusing. I know in the beginning, it was sort of explained to me, if you buy a piece of pizza with crypto, somewhere you've got a capital gain Mm -hmm. because you just sold off some crypto. Or if you buy a car, so now all of a sudden I have a capital gain or a capital loss with my crypto. At the same time, I'm purchasing a car. And that would start to be crazy if every time I had a transaction, I've just done a capital gain.
1: Oh, it's awful. And the areas of crypto that have seemed to do better are these ones that you might call utility tokens, where it's getting away from the payment processing and the currency side because crypto has so far kind of failed as being an actual cryptocurrency. But crypto for federal tax purposes right now, at least, is considered property. So every time you dispose of it, and that can be you're using a crypto debit card and you're swiping it for $5 at Starbucks, every time you have a transaction, every single one of those is a capital gain or a capital loss, which most people think, good or bad, aren't spending their crypto too much. They're using it as an investment vehicle. But if you are spending it on one of these debit cards or you're just doing everything electronically and you're paying people with crypto, every payment you make is a capital gain or capital loss. So there's some proposed legislation out there that would help fix that. I think it's called the Virtual Currency Fairness Act or something along those lines, where they said if it's under $200, it would be exempt from those reporting requirements. But even that, I've said they're going to have to tweak that because otherwise you're going to have a bunch of people who are selling off a million dollars of Bitcoin, but they're doing it $180 at a time to get right. on the gains.
0: Yeah, that would take a long time. Yeah. There's so much confusion I know for clients, they'll go, I don't know, I moved it from this wallet to the other wallet. And then I moved some from Ethereum and then I moved it over to Litecoin. And then a. it's like following a nightmare.
1: It is. And the problem is, unless you're just trading basically on one centralized exchange, so you're on Coinbase and that's where you do all of your trading, Coinbase will keep pretty good track of that for you. So you'll have your holding period, your cost basis, all of that. But if you're sending money from different exchanges, or if you're on true DeFi and a self-custody wallet, it's not keeping track of any of that for you. So you're responsible for doing it yourself. And it's next to impossible to do that without using one of these specialized software programs like Cointrack or Coinly. But even those, we always say, they still feel like they're in beta testing. Like they'll get you 90% of the way there, but they still are never quite right. So you still have to go through and redline them, make adjustments, even if you're using one of these software programs. So for your run-of-the-mill investor, it's arduous to keep up with it.
0: Yeah. And you yourself, do you do a lot of investing in crypto? I was at a conference and the speaker before me was saying, look, I don't understand it, but I'm going to put $10,000 in because if I lose it, I don't care. But if I miss the boat, I'm going to be really angry. Yeah. But my Litecoin which is the one I'm still holding on to, man, I don't think I'm ever going to get my money back. But I just can't bear to let it go.
1: No, because it's sort of like people who try to time the market, yeah. where I can't remember what the stat is, but the average rate of return is at 8 to 10%. But it's something like over a 20-year period, if you miss the top like 40 days of bull runs, I think that number goes down to like 2 or 3%. It's something ridiculous to where if you time it wrong, you lose all the upside exposure. So I'm kind of along the lines of that guy where I've got a decent amount of money in crypto. I'm continuing to dollar cost average. A lot of my positions are down quite a bit, but I'm much happier, take a little bit of a beating and it not giving me the rate of return I'd like versus saying, forget this, I'm done. And then we have another bull run the way that we did in, I guess it was 2016, 2017, then in 2020. If we have anything like that, then I'm going to be much more upset if I liquidated positions than I am right now having a loss.
0: Yeah. And I knew a couple of people that would say, look, I just got $800,000. I mean, I saw the checks. (laughs) Yeah. But I just know I'm not the guy. So I've got my little bits. I did my little thing so I don't miss the boat. Mm -hmm. But I am not like some of my clients that are investing heavily. But they also know a little bit more what they're doing and they're in it to win it. So...
1: But even those people, and again, this is a big part of my practice at this point, people are geniuses until they're not. Everyone's smart in a bull market. That's kind of what we're seeing that with. Not exactly the same thing, but we're seeing this with this FTX failure. Everyone trusted Sam Bankman-Fried. He's on Forbes covers, that he's the next Warren Buffett. He's got Kevin O'Leary. They've got the stadium and naming rights. And coming to find out that There was no internal controls, no auditing, being no due diligence whatsoever. So now we have about $10 billion of customer funds that are missing. It's not the same thing, but I've seen so many people who are crypto gurus who say, if you followed my advice and people who have followed their advice and said, well, I just do whatever this guy tells me to do. And I've made half a million dollars this year. But the same advice from that guy in 2022 would lose them half a million dollars. So right. I love crypto. I think from the utility side, especially of blockchain, there's so much potential, but people have to understand that what a risky proposition it is. That if it goes well, it goes really well. But if it doesn't, you get that exposure just as severely, if not more so on the downside. And if you understand that, fine. I've got no problems with it. But the people who invested during the bull run and don't realize those risk factors are the ones who are just absolutely getting their butts handed to them. And one thing that will happen with that at some point I think we should touch on is that people, they'll have realized taxable gains, either from trades or mining or node income or any way where they're getting staking income, something that's a realized taxable event, but they just keep rolling it back into the project. And so they're generating taxable income, but they don't have any reserves. And then the market tanks So we've had people who had over a million dollars of realized income, but kept reinvesting in the project. And then the project will go down 90 percent. And so even if they liquidate their portfolio, they don't even have the money to pay the tax bill. So I think I'll always love the space for all the faults that it has. But you have to understand the risk profile.
0: I love that you talk about that we're all a genius until we're not. right? I've had a couple of clients, even just the regular stock market, make a million dollars one year. And I'm like, man, you know so much. And then the next year, they lose everything. I said, what happened? They said, nothing changed. I was thinking the exact same way. Mm -hmm. This time I got lucky. This time I really didn't get lucky. And clearly, I don't know what I'm doing. And so I thought that was really honest. But I think that's most of us. We want to think we know what we're doing and have some control. But a lot of it, it's just so confusing. And to that point, realized capital gains. And I think people don't understand that. Just because you don't take the money out doesn't mean there's not something getting
1: taxed. If we're listing like the crypto tax myths, like that is like the number one myth that unless you cash it out for a fiat currency like U.S. dollars, you don't have taxable income. So people will be trading tokens back and forth, getting staking income, doing all this stuff. But they say, well, I didn't transfer it to my bank account, so it doesn't matter. Right. And of the very few things the IRS has issued explicit guidance on, that's one of them. They've said coin for coin trades are taxable events. Yeah, And that carries through to if you're getting interest deposits on your tokens, staking rewards, any of that. So you'll have people who are having very active portfolios with generating gains and losses, but who aren't bothering to report any of it because they aren't cashing out for US dollars. And if you're on a centralized exchange that has its own downsides, because there's going to be a mismatch between what you report and what the exchanges report to the IRS. And if you're on A decentralized exchange, there's not that automatic like mismatch, but you're still generating those same taxable events. And it's almost worse in a way because it's only going to happen if you audit it and then you might have way more exposure and it's coming to light three years down the line instead of the next year and you're able to fix it more quickly.
0: You know, it's interesting, even before crypto with all the PayPal and all these different things, It wasn't getting reported, so people were saying, oh, I don't have to report it, right? And then the government stepped in, and now they issued 1099Ks for a lot of stuff, Venmo this year. And in people's minds, well, I didn't get a tax document. I don't have a taxable issue. Right. And that's not true. And I think with crypto, it's so easy to skip over that piece because the reporting isn't great Mm -hmm. at the moment, which is why people love it. But it's also bad for people that don't understand you just generated a taxable event.
1: Well, because it's funny, the number of people who will message just like, hey, how do I get around reporting this income? I'm like, you don't. Or if you can figure it out, I'm not going to be the one who helps guide you on how to commit tax fraud. Right. But I think people will mistake. I haven't been caught yet with I can't be caught. Right. There's a couple things that play in that. One is that the IRS is still getting its systems in place, and the AI and the things they're using to track are still being developed. The other thing is that since there's so little explicit regulation out there, what we're seeing, or we think we're seeing, is the IRS is mostly just trying to kick the can down the road for when they get legislation from Congress to enforce, versus the IRS coming up with an interpretation, someone challenging it into court, and then they're in these legal barriers. They're much happier just enforcing explicit guidance and legislation they received from Congress. So we're largely seeing that they're kind of just in a holding pattern right now. But once that legislation does get passed or the IRS's hand gets forced and they do end up in these court battles, there's going to be all this data that's been mined over these years of these things that people think are just completely anonymous and the IRS is never going to find. And then they're just going to get hammered with letters for like six years of stuff they didn't bother to report. Yeah. Beyond the fact that there's all this unreported income, the different buckets that crypto income can fall into are also going to be problematic because we've seen cases before where people have a bunch of things that fall in one bucket, but then they have a bunch of capital losses and they think, okay, well, I lost $100,000 in this token with my capital loss and I made $100,000 in staking rewards. Those two just net against each other, but that's not how it works. So you have people who make no money or lose money, but still end up with pretty significant tax bills. Some conversations we have with people are great because we're able to save them a bunch of money. Some of them, it's after the fact. They're horror stories that we're having to outline to them exactly what is going on in their situation, but it's too late to fix it.
0: Yeah, and it's so important with this stuff, in my opinion, that you seek an expert when you've got all these multiple things going on. I was just talking to a client the other day, a new client. They made a lot of money and they're like, well, we made all this money, but if we do this charity thing and then if we do these other things on the real estate, like that's apples and oranges. These are separate buckets. What I basically said was you've got a plate with little dividers, you know, those dinner TV trays that's got corn and the meat. And yes, eventually it all ends up in your stomach. But You're eating just the corn Mm -hmm. and you have to segregate and separate, isolate the different types of income because they don't all offset each other.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's what we will run into is that people in crypto, even people who have invested millions of dollars and made millions of dollars will still refer to it as magic internet money. Right. People who are big into NFTs, like who have millions of dollars worth of NFTs, still refer to them as JPEGs. Like they'll joke about it. And I think because of the fact that it's so emergent, it's such easy money sometimes, people think, well, if I lose all of this, no big deal because I put in $10,000 and I made $2 million, who cares? And that's fine if you're really not a risk-averse investor. It's fine from a cash flow and money standpoint. It's not okay from a tax standpoint to ignore that. Right. And that's what we run into all the time is people who are very comfortable losing their investments so they keep rolling their profits back into the market, but aren't doing anything to cash out enough to at least cover their tax liabilities.
0: Yeah. You know, the other piece that I get sometimes is somebody will come in and say, hey, guess what? I lost $600,000. I get to offset my gains. And I say to them, well, it's great that we'll be able to utilize that, but I wouldn't be so excited that you just lost 600000 You just lost 600000 <laughs>
1: Like, Yeah.
0: Nothing to be excited about.
1: <laughs> yeah. And for some people, one of the things that's a little bit interesting with this FTX situation is that obviously for regular capital losses, you're just using those either to the extent of your gains or $3,000 at a time. There is that 2009, those special provisions that came out after Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme for, for victims of Ponzi schemes to where you can at least use those as net operating losses to carry forward. FTX may or may not qualify for that because the details keep coming out. It it seems like it should, the more details that come out, but we're not completely sure. But one, to what you said, you just lost $600,000, so the tax deduction isn't making you whole. And very possibly, depending on exactly the particulars of how you lost it, you might not see the tax benefits of that for 10 or 20 years if it's just a regular capital loss.
0: Yeah, and I had a client who had about four or $500,000 worth of capital loss carry forward and- Died? She actually did die just recently and didn't get to take it, which sort of sucked. Yeah. But what was interesting is a lot of people don't connect their CPAs with their financial advisors. And so I call advisors a lot and say, do you know that the client has $300,000 capital loss carry forward or $50? And you're giving them dividends of $100,000 that I can't offset. And most of them will say, oh, I had no idea. Like, well, that's what I'm telling you.
1: Yeah, they never think to tell them. And you'll have advisors. We've run into that too, where the advisors are running their portfolios to be really tax efficient and avoid capital gains, thinking they don't want to generate a big tax bill, not knowing that there's just this hundreds of thousands of dollars of losses just hanging out there waiting to be used.
0: Yeah, and this happens a lot. I mean, I have a lot of clients, especially newer clients, older, and I see these huge capital losses. And I talk to the an advisor and they're like worried because they're like, oh, they just took money out of their IRA and they're going to owe all this money. No, they're not. They've got capital loss. They've got NOL, business loss. And there's just a lack of communication, again, for being more efficient in tax strategies.
1: One of the big issues I've got with CPAs in general is that we are and should be, I guess, advisors and consultants. And a lot of times what will happen is we end up being glorified number crunchers or data entry people transposing numbers into a tax program. And it's hard to know exactly who to blame. It depends on the particular advisor and the CPA. But I think because too many CPAs don't do the proactive tax planning that we should do, some advisors don't bother even thinking to loop us in so that we can work together for the best outcome for the client
0: like I know myself, I got into accounting because it was logical, it had rules, two plus two is four, and if it's not, I did something wrong. There was safety in that. But at a certain point, you gotta know the rules to be able to push the envelope or to be able to creatively within the law do tax strategies that work. But I think a lot of CPAs won't even get close to the line because they don't understand the line. And so I think a lot of people get misserved because of the CPA's own fear.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's funny. We had a tax attorney that we work with a good bit refer a case to us. And this big, probably top 100 nationally accounting firm, without getting into too many specifics, ended up costing the client somewhere between four dollars to $600,000 in extra tax that they ended up paying. And the tax attorney, I always remember the phrasing, he said, I don't think this firm wants to take any deductions because then if the client gets audited, they don't have anything to defend. Wow. They were Conservative to the point of almost not malpractice, but basically, if the client gets audited, since they're not pushing that line at all, then they can say, Look at how clean our books are because the IRS didn't find anything else to deduct. Well, yeah, because you didn't play the gray at all. You didn't at least even talk with the clients of the options. At the beginning, what my accounting 101 class, I love so much exactly what you said. It's logical, it has its place, it goes in this box. If at the end, the numbers don't match, you can rewind and find it. But as it gets more abstract and theoretical, I think some of us retreat back to that sort of accounting 101, where if I can't justify it to the penny, I'm just going to throw my hands up and not take the deduction.
0: Right. And now I've gotten more comfortable that sometimes two plus two is three. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Right. Yeah. It's funny. The longer and longer I'm in practice and the more we work with different attorneys on things and It's almost like the Dunning-Kruger effect of where you learn a little bit and you think you're a genius. They call it the peak of Mount Stupid and then the valley of despair. But the more that I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything. Right. The more familiar you get and the more advanced strategies you learn, the more you realize that there's like 17 different ways to look at so many situations. And for some of us, I think that's exciting. For some of us, that is terrifying. And sometimes you go back and forth as to which person you are. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I think for me nowadays, having gotten into it, I do find that exciting. I love the challenge. I like a complex situation where, man, we just saved two or 300,000 bucks, or we've got some inner company, or there's just things that I can do that somebody else either just didn't think about Mm -hmm. or was too afraid to say, wait a minute, I think you can do that. And then I've defended it with the IRS, and they're like, yeah, that works. Yeah. But you don't know. If you don't step up to the line and take that risk, Mm -hmm. you know, I always let clients know this is risky. This is not. You can go over here, but you can't go over there. So I never push anybody in any direction. And if people want to be incredibly conservative, I'm happy to be incredibly conservative.
1: So I'm not trying to impose. Present them with the options and tell them that's exactly what we do. We say, here's the three ways we could approach this. If this If we do it this way, here's the tax bill. If we do it this way, here's the tax bill. If we do it this way, here's the tax bill. Understanding that the one that is more advantageous to you is inherently a riskier, more aggressive position. I think it's a reasonable position, but if you do get audited, there's a higher likelihood the IRS will disagree, and then that's going to hurt more if they disallow it. Yeah, But it's just probabilities. It's risk appetite. Same as investing to a certain extent is here's the reasonable range we can take and the different investments we can put you in. They've got their downsides and their upsides.
0: I know with my clients, the big difference is we'll actually represent them in an audit. And I know some CPAs won't represent their clients. And I probably wouldn't go to a CPA that wasn't willing to represent me in audit if they did the returns.
1: Yeah, we did audit defense for probably the first five years. We did two things. What we ran into as much as anything is we only had clients get audited once every year or two. And because of our niches, Our hourly rate kept going up and up because we got this expertise in areas that most CPAs won't handle with the crypto, the online business. My partner in the CPA firm is mostly litigation support where he does business valuations and forensic accounting. And what we found was we're like, we'll do it for you if you really want us to do it. But it's going to be the exact same price as a tax attorney and we'll probably do half as good of a job. Right. So that's where we did. But I completely agree. If you're not willing to stand behind the work, I think is the biggest Red flag. <laughs> it's a red flag. But there are exciting,
0: fun accountants out there like yourself and hopefully myself. So that's the important thing. Well, Michael, we're at the Fast Five. Fast Five is brought to you by FAMZOO, preparing kids for the financial jungle. Prepaid cards and a family finance app for kids, teens, and parents. Keep your kids on a budget, track chores, automate allowances, and encourage savings. If you want your kid to learn more money habits that match your values, sign up for FAMZOO. To learn more, check out the link in the show notes. All right. So Micah, shifting it up a little bit here. In a sentence, how will crypto change the future of currency?
1: In a sentence, Jesus, you can do two. I think blockchain is going to change the way we compute and technology. I think so much of tech and Web3 is going to blockchain. I think the currency side is more undecided than anything else because we're at this fork in the road where you could see controlled centralized currencies by the U.S. government or you could see it remain decentralized. I think, weirdly enough, we're moving more and more to where the currency side of cryptocurrency might fall away, and you're just going to see government-controlled, centralized currency. So I'm not sure how much that one is weirdly more obtuse, yeah. less transparent than I think the tech side is.
0: Yeah, for sure. How often do you check your bank account? Every day.
1: <laughs>
0: Ever with apprehension? Not usually. <laughs> no, I just need to know. Got to know. On a scale of 1 to 10 being the highest? How would you rate your financial security?
1: An eight. There's never enough money, so. Right, there's always something.
0: Yeah, we're comfortable, but yeah, there's always room for improvement. What's one way that average people can get involved in crypto?
1: The easiest way is with all these centralized exchange failures, Coinbase is probably your best bet just because it is a publicly traded company. And this year alone, we've seen Celsius, Voyager, BlockFi, FTX, maybe Gemini. Centralized exchanges are failing all over the place and doing it on a decentralized self-custody is complicated. So I think Fidelity and Vanguard and real financial institutions are going to start supporting it. When they do, I think for the average investor, that is exactly where you want to park it. Until that happens, Coinbase is probably your safest centralized exchange right now. Yep. I'm with
0: Coinbase. It's easy. (laughs) It's easy. Can you describe your relationship with money in one word?
1: Safety, I guess. Cool.
0: So we are at our m M&M moment, our sweet spot, money and motivation. And I'm wondering, Mike, if you have a practical financial tip or a piece of wealth wisdom for our listeners and our crypto listeners.
1: We talked on this a little bit, but I think the biggest thing is just truly understanding the risk profile of what you're investing in. The horror stories that we run into is this mismatch between people's risk appetite and what they're investing in. And you have people who are very risk averse for some reason, not only investing in Bitcoin, but investing in these altcoin projects that are 100 times riskier than Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin. So whatever you're investing in, understand what you're investing in, understand the risks associated with it. And I think the problems we run into with a lot of clients is a mismatch between those two things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I can't say it enough. Don't invest money you're not willing to lose. You have to look at it as extra money. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like Vegas, just without the shows. Absolutely.
1: We've had this 10-year bull run up until this past year, and I think people either weren't around for the previous bear markets or have just had the good times have rolled for long enough they forgot about them. Yeah. And people lost that sense of prudence of that things can go down. So they're investing money they can't afford to lose and in things that are likely to lose money. Yeah. And it's not fun for anybody. It's not pretty.
0: Well, Michael, where can people learn more about you? I know you've got a book out and online. Where can people track you down?
1: So if people are are crypto investors, they can go to CryptoTaxCPA.com. And if they're just regular people, they can go to our main website, framecpa.com. And we do have this book we published. It's on all major retailers right now. It's called Decrypting Crypto Taxes. The print version and audible version are obviously paid, but the digital version we listed for free. So the way we structure that book is basically the FAQs that we would get on how is staking income taxed, how is play to earn games. So if people are just getting in the space and wondering how their particular activity is taxed, The table of contents sort of directs you to hopefully a reasonably succinct answer for what you need to consider.
0: That's great. There's probably a lot of CPAs that need to read that book.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's bad. I mean, it's bad. Like any emergent market, there's a lot of either misinformation or just CPAs who have zero desire to deal with it or learn with it. And that's where we're getting a lot of clients or their CPA says is in his 80s. And he's like, I don't care. I don't want to deal with it. If you're going to do that, go somewhere else. And yeah. people end up finding us. No, that's awesome.
0: Well, Mike, this has been such a great conversation. I know people are out there doing the crypto. They don't know fully what they're doing. And hopefully they'll take away some nice lessons from today. So thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, this has been great, man. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. Did you learn something new about your relationship to money today? Maybe you have a friend who has some financial blocks or beliefs that are holding them back. Please share this podcast so they too can get off the roller coaster ride of financial fears and journey towards financial freedom. To learn how to have a healthy relationship with money, visit themoneynerve.com. That's nerve, not nerd. We'll be back next week with another perspective on money and the emotions that bind us.